If you can uh, turn your Bibles into the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Um, the book of Ephesians has been very special in my life uh, for a long, long time. But the older I get, the more I realize how special it is, uh, just to be completely transparent with you. Uh, and, and it's interesting to, to see how uh, when Pastor asked me to, to prepare for tonight and when he asked, I never have a clue what I'm going to speak about and he, he usually doesn't tell me. And to be honest with you, um, when he tells me, I get more nervous because then I got <laughs> to go to the text he tells me. Uh, but when he gives me free reign and, and I'm able to search uh, the Lord's direction, I'm just thrilled. It just so happened that that's the case for this last week. And uh, just to, to hear how we were challenged on Sunday from Scripture, uh, in, from First Peter in, in the cycle of spiritual growth and and realizing that as the Lord had given me what we are going to be doing tonight, um, that there was a foundation there already laid for us uh, in the text from last Sunday. So if you missed it, I encourage you to look it up and, and catch up. But it's, uh, it's incredible, the need of the hour. And you heard it from the missionary uh, that not only are they seeing it there, uh, we're living it in, our, in the States as well. But the book of Ephesians is one that uh, is a very Gentile book. And by that, I mean that the readers definitely did not grow up as Jewish folks. Um, it is one of the first prison epistles that Paul wrote to the local churches, both in uh, Colossians, obviously, and, and, uh, and in this book of Ephesians. There were cities that were really close to each other. And so the tone, um, there's similarities. As a matter of fact, the theme for our school year, for our Christian school ministry here, is Walk Worthy. And that's, um, that's our title tonight, Walk Worthy. It's literally a call to godly living. And uh, it, it is found from the text. Um, we take our theme from the book of Colossians for the school ministry, Colossians 1.10. But in this text that we're going to look at today in the first six verses of, of the chapter 4 of, of Ephesians 4, we're going to look at, at this thought of walking worthy according to the call of God in a believer's life. And if you can uh, summarize, if you would, the, the first three chapters in order to be ready for chapter four, um, you really look at uh, doctrinal statements of, of our faith, really, in the first three chapters. Um, the first three chapters really summarize could be the thought of the believer standing in grace, our position in grace and the grace of God. Uh, it's interesting that in his salutation in chapter one, we go through um, the process of basically our life before Christ. Um, and then in chapter 2, that, that process continues in salvation and then after salvation. Um, this is where we find um, verses that for someone like me, uh, I wasn't born in Italy. I was born in, in the States but grew up in the Dominican Republic. You were born a Catholic. You don't have a choice. That was just it. But when we read verses like the ones found in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9... For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you've been saved a long time, you know that this is a doctrinal statement for each believer in Christ. That we realize that it's nothing that we can bring to the Lord, nothing that we can do for God uh, to earn God's merit or his salvation. But it is a gift of God and it's, it's a, an amazing truth for us to understand. At the end of chapter 3, there's a pivot statement I like to call. Um, that is really salvation, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of grace, into then a very practical challenge to these folks that in their life, 
Kind of like that example that the missionary used. Um, and we probably hear it all over the place. Oh yeah, there's many gods. and or, or I want to put an insurance policy from this group. An insurance policy from that group. And yeah, let me take this and let me take that. And I just want to cover all my bases. Um, and, and this is the background that the folks in Ephesians were coming from. Uh, they believed in many gods. They believed in many uh, rituals. They believed in many deities. And, and it was a very pagan city. And so as we look at the scriptures, we see this pivot statement that Paul declares in the last few verses of chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to start, if you may, in chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you are being rooted and grounded in love. This is a declaration that Paul is making. So that when he gets to verse 20, he can make the statement, Now, now that you have heard all and been reminded of your salvation, he wants to get to the nitty gritty. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now, honestly, he could have finished the book right there. We're done. We're good. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation and eternal life. But he wasn't done. And in those two verses, there's a pivot that is done to then start addressing that this is not what I'm about to tell you, church. Paul speaking. This is not something to be done in your own power. This is not something for you to be able to accomplish because of the background that you have grown up in. This is not able to be finished in your life because of the culture that you've grown up in. And so he's saying, now that you understand that the only way to do this is by being saved, being led by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, he begins our text for tonight. Verse 1 of chapter 4, the Bible says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord, excuse me, beseech you that you walk worthy, and there's our word, worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all loneliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond in peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So as we understand that commandment, that call for godly living, we see ingredients that are necessary for this to take place. And so throughout this chapter, and this is one of the longest chapters in this book, it's right in the middle. He doesn't go into anything else, but he spends the entire chapter correcting our speech, the way we talk, the way we communicate. He spends the, the, he uses the word edify, or as we like to define it, build up. And if you hear the vernacular, um, you see that the culture was not one of building up. It wasn't one of edifying one another, but yet these believers are called to edify and build up. Theologian John Phillips wrote about the city and, and the culture that they were in. He wrote this about uh, Ephesus. Sin was at the very heart of religion in Ephesus, as it is in the day, to this day in Hinduism or other Eastern religions. 
In contrast, God's people were to be saints, called out once, cleansed and made holy, separated unto the, unto the true and living God and His Son by the power of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. The true temple of God at Ephesus was to be found in the bodies of the believers where Jesus was enshrined as Lord. When I read that statement, it really brought into light what we've been talking about. The, the, what pastor's been preaching for the last few weeks, uh, what this text is driving at. The call for the believer to uh, live godly, to walk worthy of the vocation of the calling of God in their life. In the, in the first three chapters, as he reminds the church, these were not unsafe people he was writing to. He's writing to the church. Those that had received Christ already, live godly. It's incredible that just because we receive Christ, um, that we have a tendency of not forgetting how to sin, right? Um, The one question in a quiz or a test that I remember for one class in college, in Bible class, that honestly, uh, I don't remember what, I didn't know what the word meant, but I was acting like I, I knew. The question was, when the believer accepts Christ, does your sin nature get eradicated from you? And I'm like, um, one, I don't know what eradicated means, (laughs) but I'm supposed to know, so I'm going to go with yes. In other words, when a believer in Christ gets saved, does the sin nature gets cut away from you? I didn't know what eradicated, so it sounded well. It's like, yeah, you're supposed to not sin anymore. But unfortunately, my answer was wrong, as you know. Uh, no, just because we're saved, we're not, our, our flesh, our, our tem- the temptation to, to sin doesn't immediately go away on this side of eternity, right? But yet, God has saved us where we're at, calling us to sanctify, to be sanctified, to live godly lives. And the recipe and the, and the things that Paul highlights in this text are so counterculture, not only 2,000 years ago when they were written, but today as well. And so, as we look at what Paul is asking them to do, he calls them out and says, walk worthy. And that word walk comes with it, the idea of walking at large as a provability. It's, it's got this, this thought of, a, uh, of being able to be occupied. In the Hebrew, it has a thought of being regulated of being able to have a conduct that one can copy or be an example of. That's what Paul's calling the church to do. It's interesting that in another uh, one of his uh, epistles in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, Paul declared in that book as well, and be not conformed to this world. In other words, we're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to sound like the world. We're not supposed to allow the world to shape our way of thinking, our matter of speech. But he says, but be ye transformed, completely changed over by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And whether it's a young person or a more mature person, the struggle the, the exposure to the culture that we live and grow up in. But when we come to this book, be, like James said, put our face in front of a mirror 
and decide to either leave it the way we found it or change it. I remember as a young person, um, as I've shared before, and I was challenged to read 10 verses a day. And that was the goal. Sometimes I had to read those 10 verses three times, but that was a challenge. But I remember when I got to this verse, to this, to this book of Ephesians, it was, I was good with the first three chapters. No problem. Uh, I understood salvation. I understood that it wasn't of anything I could do. But when I got to chapters 4, 5, and 6, complete, I don't want to use the word distrust, but I could not see it. Uh, you know, when, when you hear something and you can't touch it, you can't comprehend it, you've never seen a life, a real life example of this. So I, I'm reading this book and, and it's telling, I mean, this chapter and it says that I'm to watch what I say. Um, I've shared that, that I come from a confrontational culture. Um, so if we don't like the way you look, we'll tell you. Um, if, if, if you say something not right, we'll defend it, right? Um, but yet this book is saying to be meek and humble and, 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 um, and lowliness. That was so, like, not Dominican. You know, I, I, I was okay with salvation, but... Okay, maybe I, I don't have to curse as much, but loneliness and humbleness. And then you get to chapter 5, and it says how to love your wife. And then to the children, how to honor your parents. And, and I was like, mm, maybe one day. But as a teenager, I was like, there's no way. I don't know anybody that lives like this. And that really was a testimony. I mean, we're all first-generation Christians. We're trying to figure it out as we go. But yet, the more I read it, the more I had to make a decision of, you know, I've seen the examples around me, and they're not that good. And this one is saying to do it completely opposite. So, do I trust it? Or do I go with what I learn around me? And then the older I get as I go back to this book and, I, and, and I've been studying the book um, in discipleship, I'm just reminded of what we are called as believers. That we don't have to look or sound like the culture, but that we are called to walk worthy of God's calling in our lives, of, of God's salvation in our lives. 1 Peter 1.6 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And I, and, and I'll be transparent with you. Um, as a teenager wanting to come back, knowing that I was coming to the States for college, we would get all these mission trips from all these American college kids. And um, they went to so-called Christian colleges. And man, they didn't sound or act any different than the unsafe people around us. And we're like, maybe Christian college isn't so, such a good idea. Um, but it was incredible how, how by his mercy and his grace, the more you dig into his word, that regardless of the culture, regardless of the examples or the peer pressure around us, God's calling to walk worthy is still applicable to the individual today. Whether we live in South Florida or in the buckle of the Bible belt, God is calling us to holiness. It's interesting that if you drop down to verse 17 of the same chapter, Paul gives him a warning here. He literally says, Hey, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk 
henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And we, we, we live, I mean, literally, if we didn't see or hear the music and see the pictures of the missionary in Italy, but when he was showing that, that slide that said everything that people were believing, you could have shown Fort Lauderdale, South Florida, and that's us. There's no difference. But the need is still the same. The remedy, the ingredient is still the same. And that's his word and his son, Jesus Christ. But that warning that Paul gives him, hey, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. In the vanity of their mind. In the materialism. In the, in the, in the aspect of what we are exposed to. We are called to be separate than that. So he is very clear about that calling. So the ingredient in the call to walk worthy um, is, is followed by the right attitude. And, and that's really found in verse number two. It says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now he's writing to the church. He wasn't writing to the city. He was writing to the church and reminding the believers, hey, we're called to walk in lowliness and meekness. And the last time I checked, those are not popular positions. With long suffering, forbearing, putting up with one another. And by the way, not only with a smile, but in love. And this was a deep love. This was not a shallow love. This was an agape love to, to really care for the believer. To put up with the differences, right? I always tell my kids, I mean, remember, I'm Dominican. My wife is from Michigan. We met in the middle in South Carolina. And I always remind my kids, People are normal until you get to know them. My wife was normal until I got to know I'm just kidding. <laughs> she's still normal. Uh, she's not in here. She's over there. So she won't, she won't hear this. I won't be in trouble tonight at least. So I'll be okay until tomorrow. But the, the reality is people are normal until you get to know them. And believers should be normal all the time. Right? And yet we're all different. We all come from different backgrounds. We sound different. We have different perspectives, but praise the Lord as he's driving the point, and we'll look at it in a minute, it's one Lord. So we are to and, and, uh, forbear one another in love, in that grace that only God can provide. And so he's, he's having that, that, that reminder that this is how we ought to do it. In verses 22 and 24 of the same chapter, he puts a qualifier there. And, and if we can just jump, jump ahead and just take a look at these uh, Three verses real quick. The Bible says that Paul reminds them that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Put it off. Now, once you're saved, you're still you. I mean, my name doesn't change. My name gets added in the the Lamb's Book of Life. But I'm still me. I, I didn't change. I'm still losing my hair. You know, all that stuff. My, the only thing that maybe has changed is my accent, but that's because of my wife. Outside of that, it's still me. But this conversation of the old man should not be the same. And as pastors have been preaching, and, and, and we're looking at the scripture that if we still that sound the same, there, there's something not there. I was visiting with, with a student, and, and um, we're talking about this subject, and it's like, well, that's just the way I am. Okay, that could be the way you are, but it doesn't mean that that's the way you ought to be or the way you need to be, right? Um, if you know 
anything about the way of my family's temper and 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 um, tone and and uh, uh, sharpness of words. That ought not to be something I'm proud of. Something that God's still working on us, on me. But he's saying, put off the old man. And then he uses the word, which is corrupt. Literally good for nothing. According to the deceitful lust. But the hope is that in verse 23, he says, And be renewed, made new, changed over in the spirit of your mind. Just like we read in Romans 12 too. Be renewed by the... by, uh, by be renewed in our minds that verse 24 that ye put on the new man so we are to put off and put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness it's funny I remember having these arguments in my head I don't know if you have them too but as I was going through the process of the Lord being uh, being saved and then Going about life and realizing, oh, that, that's not good. <laughs> that's actually a sin. We should not do that anymore. And saying, but wait, everybody else does it. I'm going to be at a disadvantage if I don't follow up. But yet, as you read passages that say, put off and put on, that ought to be the desire of the believer. That sin is wickedly sinful. As a believer. The sin is still a sin. But as a believer we see it as wickedly sinful. And so that there is conviction in our hearts. There is the desire to change. There's a desire to. I don't want that anymore. So it's having that right attitude. But then lastly. It's having the right goal in mind. And that's really uh, back in verse 3 through 6. That Paul is telling them. Hey listen. Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. And the bond of peace. That's the goal. Now, peace is not the absence of problems or trouble, right? But peace is having peace in the middle of all that. So he continues and he says, hey, in this way, in the oneness, in a synergy, in a, in, in, with synergy in the relationship, he says there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. That hope is the hope that we have according to what Jesus says. Hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. That is the same principle that saved you, that allowed you to be born again and receive Christ as your Savior. But that's the one hope that we carry. And then he says to the church, hey, one faith. That is in Christ, in Christ alone. You can't add any works to him. You can't take anything out of him. He is 100% man, 100% God. That's the Christ. That is the faith that we have. And then he continues and he says, Hey, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That baptism, just like what we share here in baptism on Sunday, that there is that assimilation that we are identifying with Christ that he came, he did live, he did die, he was buried, but praise the Lord, he rose again. It still amazes me. Um, I think it was last week. Yes. Last week I had to get my battery changed. And the guy from AAA came over. And and um, he did everything. And he sold me a battery. Only to find out there was none in stock. <laughs> so, uh, but since he was at my house. Um, 
I went ahead and invited him to church. And I, and I did ask him a question. Who would you say Jesus is? And he, he kind of said, I, I don't believe in any of that. Oh, really? <laughs> but yet, it, it's amazing how still to this day, folks would want to deny that there was an actual Christ that came to earth. It blows my mind. But yet, we're still called to be a light, to help, to communicate the hope that lies within us. So as a church, we're called to have this calling for godly living through the right attitude, with the right goal in mind. So as I mentioned earlier, so that we can navigate through Paul's writing that after salvation, our speech ought to be different. So that after our speech, our love to our spouse, that after that love, that we can biblically lead our children so that then in verse in chapter 6 it talks about how to be the right employee and employer but then lastly so that we can be ready like Paul says in chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities so that we can put on the whole armor of God and use the word of God like a effective tool that's the calling of the church you can try it on your own i just had a conversation this afternoon Oh, I'm good. I'm not that bad. I'm only bad when I want to be bad, but otherwise I'm good. I never heard that before, but that was pretty good. I, he almost had me convinced. But I asked, have you ever sinned one time? Oh, yeah, every day. Okay, then you're not good. You're bad. No, I'm still good. I'm only bad when I want to be bad. Forget it. Jesus loves you. <laughs> the reality is that we do have a hope. And we are charged to go and, and share that hope of Christ. Yeah, until somebody's lost, it can't be found. But yet, we're still called to be a light right here. So believer, I have a question for you. If you're born again, you know that if you were to die, you're going to heaven. How is your walk? It seems like the theme for the last few weeks is our walk with Christ, our walk in Christ. How is our walk? If it's not right, 1 John 1, 9, still in the Bible. Then we need to correct it. But maybe you're here watching online and, and you, you hear about Christ. You haven't humbled yourself to receive this gift of salvation. That can happen today. That's our prayer. That's the desire of our church, to share the hope of God, the hope of Christ with everyone around us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to come together. Father, we humbly come with challenged hearts of the work that you're doing in our midst. And for, Father, sometimes um, if, you've been, if once it's been saved a long time, you're like, well, wh- why do we need that reminder? Father, we, we live in a culture that says otherwise. And Father, sometimes our mind is preoccupied with everything else but you. And Lord, I pray that in the busyness, that we would be encouraged and reminded of what you have done in our lives. The, the sacrifice that your son went to die on the cross, your willingness to, to give of your only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but praise the Lord, have everlasting life. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you give us to gather together and just simply uh, encourage one another according to the word of God. 
that, Lord, regardless of our past, regardless of the culture that we've grown up in, whether here in South Florida or anywhere, anywhere around the world, Father, you're calling the believer, the born-again believer of Christ, to a godly calling, to walk worthy of the calling in their lives. And Father, I don't know um, how this is to reach uh, those that are here, but I know it reaches my heart. And Father, I pray that uh, we would be honest with you, and that, Father, as the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction, that, that we would simply surrender it. Father, what a joy it is to be in Christ because of the love that you have for us. That through him, anyone, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, I, I thank you that it is in your word, that it cannot be denied. Father, I thank you that it is not because of church attendance or things that we do or don't do, that we can have a personal relationship with God the Father. And Father, if there's anyone here watching or, or here on the auditorium, that I pray that if they're not sure about their salvation, that where they will spend eternity, I pray that tonight they will uh, settle that and approach any of us to open God's word and show them how they too can be saved. Move and, and work in a mighty way in our midst. Prepare us for uh, our mission field right here in South Florida. Be with the missionaries, Lord, as they continue to raise support to go back and be faithful in the land that you've called them. We love you and we thank you for all now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to finish our service singing, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. Number 349, please stand as we sing together. Uh, and we're going to invite our missionaries to go out to the table and make sure to stop by and greet them. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Good night. God bless you. You are dismissed.